Broadly speaking, what should we expect from Lincoln Riley and USC in year one down in Los Angeles? And on Monday, I talked about coaches who are either on the hot seat or who are at least under a little bit of pressure, and I totally blanked on one name. Got to correct that today, and we will do it all. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. I appreciate everybody out there who has done so already, and you continue to do so, and I continue to appreciate that. And this is the last week that we will, uh, here at the Locked On College Network, be out of season, so we'll be back to five. Five days a week, starting Monday, August 1st, and the season is five and a half weeks away. I cannot wait. Media Day this Friday, we'll be getting to all of that. We'll look at some position previews, and then I'll be uh, taking a two-week vacation, but I've still got plenty of shows coming for you. We'll be doing uh, schedule previews for every team in the Conference of Champions, 1 through 12 across the board. I did Stanford a while back, might have to revisit there. Got a a lot of... uh, new listeners since that dropped and it was a while ago and said, you know, I like round even numbers. I'm uh, like semi OCD in that, uh, in that sense, not fully, not like actually, but I, I like when things are, are clean and, you know, doing 11 such episodes in a row doesn't quite feel right. So it might have to just make it 12 and, uh, go through Stanford's there. But today we're talking USC specifically and the expectations for Lincoln Riley, which, uh, based on my understanding in, you know, interacting with Trojans fans on uh, the YouTube comments or, uh, you know, reading media pieces from from people who cover the team, the expectations seem to be pretty darn high. I think there are a number of fans who understandably are hoping that he'll be able to come in and kind of do what Jim Harbaugh did when he got to Michigan, which is he gets there. Team had a losing record the season before and Harbaugh in his first year up there at, uh, at at Big Blue won. I don't know if they're referred to as that, but, uh, you know, it's go blue. Anyway, <laughs> um, he, he won 10 games in that first season. I think that would be a pretty great year for for Lincoln Riley. But uh, broadly speaking here, not even going uh, game by game with, with their record. I'll kind of get that today, but I'll, I'll save it for the, uh, uh, the schedule breakdown when I go through each game uh, of USC season. I think broadly speaking for for Trojan fans, one of the biggest expectations is that they're going to score a lot of points. (laughs) I know that's not a particularly hot take. Uh, The Pac-12 media just voted for their uh, preseason 2022 first and second team and honorable mention in the conference. USC has four players on that first team. Voorhees, uh, the offensive lineman, and then Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, the wideouts, and of course Caleb Williams is there at quarterback. And they've got some players on the second team as well. Uh, uh, Brett Nealon, the offensive lineman, and Oregon transfer Travis Dye, the running back. So uh, lots of players with some on the defense as well for USC who rightfully have those expectations that the Trojans will be able to score a, a lot of points. But I think it, if you're a USC fan, it should be a different sort of expectation offensively than a season ago from the scoring and the output standpoint. Because... A season ago, if you look at USC's offensive numbers in the Pac-12, 
They racked up plenty of yards. They scored plenty of points, and yet they won just four games. Now, even with a defense that was not where it needed to be in order to to capitalize, I think normally if you score that many points and you're putting up over 400 or so yards a game, you'd think you would at least be able to to get to 500. But I think the biggest the biggest shift that, that Trojan fans should reasonably expect with Lincoln Riley, not just as the head coach, but also as the offensive play caller there and with Caleb Williams, who uh, is a fairly experienced quarterback, but will be playing his first full season as a starter this year down in Los Angeles, barring an injury. Because remember, he came in for Spencer Rattler kind of in the middle-ish uh, portion uh, of last season. But the biggest thing is USC... I think is capable of being smarter and a little bit more multiple on offense because last year with, with the offensive staff they had put together, it, it was very pass heavy, right? And that's how they uh, got a lot of their yards. But Lincoln Riley will certainly throw the ball. I'm not saying he's going to come in and, uh, you know, be uh, Mario Cristobal or David Shaw style where, you know, they want to run the ball first and second down in a perfect world and only throw kind of w- when they have to. It's a different way of trying to win a football game, but that's not what Lincoln Riley wants to do. He wants wants to create big explosive plays, and he certainly has the athletes to do that. But I think offensively, you're going to see them run the football more and just overall be smarter and less predictable. Because when you're running an air raid, I understand the appeal of it, and it can certainly work if you have the athletes for it. But the limitations, I think, are also there for an offense that wants to throw the ball you know, anywhere from 40 to, to 60 times a game. If that's your, your governing offensive philosophy, I, I think you take some opportunities out of your uh, your offensive repertoire and out of your playbook, right? Play action is not quite as effective, and, you know, your quarterback is really having to, to carry the workload there. And Jackson Dart was uh, very good last year, and Keaton Slovis has been pretty darn good for USC uh, the last couple of years. Now he's going over to, to Pitt, where I figure he will uh, have a, a good amount of success. But I think USC's offense might even look uh, similar statistically to what they were a season ago. You'd think they would be above it, but again, their numbers were pretty good. I think their points per game could probably go uh, up a little, but their yards per game, they, they had no problem putting up uh, putting up yards, moving the ball up and down the field. But I, I think they'll be more versatile. I, I think they'll be smarter because Lincoln Riley, what he does really well, what any good play caller will, is he calls the right play at the right time. And I think more so than even some of the sharp offensive minds in the country, Lincoln Riley will get guys wide open. And that's something that, that we saw with uh, with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and uh, Jalen Hurts as well during his time uh, at Oklahoma. Even with Rattler, I think that when you watch the Oklahoma offensive highlights in their conference games, what you saw a lot of was Boy, that guy is wide open. I mean, that's like they're that's a good player. Like they they know to cover him, right? Like why is he wide open? Because Lincoln Riley is very smart and nuanced in, in that sense. So that's how I think they they'll be very productive on, on offense. And I think the offensive line will uh, have to do some more run blocking than than they did in 2021 or or in 2020 as well. Because that that's part of what they want to do, right? I mean, you watch uh, Oklahoma football the last four years. There are a lot of power running concepts. And you watch USC football the last couple of years with the air raid. That just wasn't something that, that they featured very heavily. So I, I expect them to be able to score a lot of points, to get into shootouts, to do it a, a little bit differently. 
And, you know, there might be a, a slight adjustment period there, but I don't think it'll be too much with with a coach offensively who's as sharp and proven as he is in the, the talent and weapons that he's got in front of him. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of games this year where USC wins, you know, 38-28 rather than, uh, you know, 20-13, to 13, the way some other teams might want to try and win. I don't think that will be their MO, and I don't think their defense is going to be in a place where, uh, but, you know, Blackman, the the Colorado DB transfer, Makai Blackman, his name, uh, should certainly help in the secondary. He's preseason uh, second-team All-Pac-12, according to the, the, the media members who cover the league. But, you know, overall, USC is not going to win games with, with their defense. That's never what they did at Oklahoma, and I don't think that should be an expectation at, at USC. And, and if you're a Trojans fan, I don't think that's what you should really want either. I mean, you shouldn't want Lincoln Riley to come in and try to start building a really, really good defense. You should want to have some good players there so that it can at least be competent. But on the whole, if you're looking at winning the Pac-12 and that being a goal for the Trojans in the next couple seasons here before they depart for the Big Ten, USC is capable of just outscoring them. Just, just straight up saying, you know what, we might give you 24, 25 points, but we're going to score over 30. And if you can't do that, which you probably can't, then that's just that, that's just how we're going to win games. All these totals are, are are bettable in in a game. Like you can place a wager on you know over unders, and uh, you could do team over unders. You can do all of that sort of stuff at Bet Online. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. My personal favorite. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online is where the game starts. So record-wise, and again, not going game by game today. That'll be uh, on an upcoming episode here in, uh, I, I think that's going to be the week of August uh, 8th is when that'll all start, which is why you should like and subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show right now if you have not already. But I think for, uh, you know, what I've been doing with these new coach expectations, uh, already talked about Jake Dickert and uh, Kalen DeVore up in Washington. We'll do Lincoln Riley and then uh, Dan Lanning, the other new coach in the Pac-12 this year as well. Uh, I think a goal for USC is nine or more wins. And I'm sure there's some Trojan fans out there saying, no, I want to get to 10 wins. I want to get to 11 wins. And look, it's okay to be aspirational as a fan. It's kind of... You know, our job, broadly speaking, as fans of our teams to to be hopeful, to be optimistic and look on the bright side whenever we can. Though sometimes you got to be able to look in the mirror and understand that those are uh, that there are some cold realities out there that they have to face and deal with as well. Um, I expect them to be in the nine win range. And, and by the way, that does not include the bowl game. I think when you look at USC's schedule, they should be able to win nine games in the regular season. If they came in and won eight, I don't think that'd be a, a huge disappointment. But I think if if Lincoln Riley heading into uh, whatever bowl game that they, they end up making in 2022 has got nine wins and they're going to a solid game, I think if you're a USC fan, that is a successful year one. I, I don't think there should be a Pac-12 championship requirement, though I'm sure they will compete for it coming out of uh, the South. Though, remember, divisions don't matter anymore. It's the two teams with the best conference winning percentage. 
again, I think that's doable because their schedule on the whole is pretty favorable on uh, on the conference slate and non-conference. They uh, they don't have a major opponent there aside from, of course, Notre Dame, which will be a tough game to win. But they do have the Irish at home, so uh, that's certainly a, a plus for them. But I, I know that when you hire a coach like Lincoln Riley, who won Big 12 championships and I mean, college football playoff appearances and, you know, uh, had Oklahoma football continuing to operate at a very high level. As a USC fan, you're looking, OK, well, this guy's got to be able to get us to conference championships, hopefully to college football playoff. And in the long run, that is a very reasonable goal. But year one turnarounds are really tough to do, even in the transfer portal age. They've brought in a ton of talent, top five or th- I think maybe top three recruiting class nationally in terms of the transfer portal, according to 24-7 sports. It still takes it still is really, really hard to go from four and eight to saying USC is going to be a college football playoff contender this year. I don't see that as a reasonable expectation or baseline for success for USC in, in year one. But I think their goal should be nine wins in the regular season. However you find them, whoever they come against, if you get to double digits, I think Lincoln Riley's knocking it out of the park more than uh, I expect a little bit here. Uh, You do have some losable games on the schedule. You know, I mean, just looking at it as a whole, when you when you look at a game on paper and say, okay, I could see them losing that game. I think Utah, UCLA, both of which are on the road and Notre Dame at home. Like in year one, do you really expect to go three even when USC in a couple years is operating under, you know, a peak efficiency with Lincoln Riley or such where they've got the recruits in and uh, the system's really starting to, to take place and guys are uh, understanding of whatnot, right? Like a coach three years in is typically having more success than he had in year one. That is a consistent trend across college football. Even in year three, if you look at those three games at Utah, at UCLA, Notre Dame at home, Winning all three is a really, really big challenge there. And so in year one, I I think it's pretty reasonable to say like one of them could certainly be a win. You could lose all three. If you win all three, I think that is going above and beyond what what expectations for B should be for USC this year. I I think they probably go one and two uh, in those games because remember, two of them are on the road. UCLA, probably the most winnable of the bunch because they don't have a great home field advantage. And uh, they're also probably the weakest team of the three, though I think they'll be good once again as they were last year. And uh, Notre Dame, going to be a, a formidable opponent, but they do come to the Coliseum. That game at Utah, though, uh, will be pretty tough because that's a that's a raucous group of fans uh, to play in. Um, it's harder to, to predict bowl games because you, you don't know what game they're going to, who the opponent's going to be. But overall, I, I also believe that as the season goes on, USC will continue to will be a team that gets better and better. I don't think that about every Pac-12 school. By the way, I think teams that are going to struggle this year will have a better chance to win games against quality or at least respectable opponents early in the year compared to the end of it. Because once you start to accumulate losses, especially in conference play, the vibe around a program and the way that they're playing just changes and it can go downhill there. So I, you know, I might be a standard prediction there that they'll play better at the end of the year um, to, to some people, but I don't think that that's the case for, for every college football program. Um, but nine or more wins is a goal. 
And I, I think whatever bowl game they get to, because I anticipate they'll be rolling, it'll probably be a game that they can win. But again, we got to wait and see who the opponent would be. But uh, any way of getting to a 10-win season in year one for Lincoln Riley, I think will do enough to, uh, you know, make Trojans fans feel justified in their excitement and hope that, that they felt when, when he got hired away from Oklahoma this offseason. Uh, last thing here with USC the disappointment standard, right? That's what I've been doing with all the coaches, general expectations, goal, and a disappointment disappointment standard. Eight and four would not be I great, would not be great. I do not think that that would be a total disappointment. If USC, with the schedule they've got and the players they've brought in, if they're under eight wins, that's a disappointing year one. It's not push the panic button time to, you know, look elsewhere or was this all a big mistake? It's not that sort of disappointment. But if Lincoln Riley comes out and goes seven and five this season, yeah, it'd be an upgrade from last year. And I'm sure there'd be some Trojan fans who'd be able to appreciate like, well, at least we're going to a bowl game and uh, we're, we're back over 500. But that would be, I think, the the standard for that was not what what this season should have been. You could certainly make an argument for eight. I wouldn't push back on it in a major way. But uh, again, a team that won four games in 2021, if you were to turn that around and win eight in 2022, that would set up an expectation for winning 10 or more in 2023. And that's typically how coaching turnarounds go. It's not as easy as everybody thinks. And you also have to remember, Lincoln Riley's doing this for the first time. When he took over as head coach at Oklahoma, that was a team that was winning at a high level under Bob Stoops, and he just kind of slid in and kept things rolling and whatnot and did things how he wanted to as the head coach. This is now a different situation to come into, and he has to completely turn around. He hasn't done that before, so I don't think 8-4 and four would be terrible. I'd understand if USC fans would, would see that as you know way below what, what they're expecting here in 2022, but I think nine wins or, or more is a good goal, and that would represent this uh, you know working quickly down there in Los Angeles. On Monday, I made a mistake. Not in anything that I said, but rather what I didn't say. And I really don't know how I missed this because I was thinking about, you know, with Pac-12 media days around the corner, the coaches that are are going to be under pressure, facing scrutiny in uh, 2022, more so perhaps than uh, other coaches. And I don't have Lincoln Riley near the top of that list. He's probably in the top five. I mean, I had on Monday uh, Herm Edwards, number one. He's on the hot seat. Justin Wilcox and Chip Kelly right after him. Coach that I forgot uh, to put it, literally just straight up forgot, probably is uh, is in the mix. And then Lincoln Riley's probably on the other side. But it's a different type of pressure, right? Like I was talking about earlier on the show. It's the sort of pressure where, hey, you're supposed to win at a really high level and just winning is not enough. You have to win at this level. Not every coach has that sort of uh, expectation. Um, I, I literally went through in my head. I thought, okay, that coach, no, that coach, no, that coach, no. And I came up with those three, Herm Edwards, Justin Wilcox, and Chip Kelly in that order. But above Wilcox and below Herm Edwards should 100% be David Shaw. And it just kind of dawned on me. Like I was just sitting there playing Xbox and it dawned on me, oh my gosh, how did I not put David Shaw in there? And how did I know? And I think it's just because Stanford has a tendency to uh, to fly under the radar here. 
Um, I think David Shaw is on the warm seat. Also, uh, I got a, a YouTube question, which is a great way to get a question answered here on the show. Hop in the YouTube comments, tweet with the hashtag AskLOP12, or uh, you DM me at LO underscore Pac12, or at Smalls underscore 55. Ask a question to get an answer here on the show. Uh, Reggie Anderson out there, he's asked a question before. Uh, he's high on Herm Edwards. I think he's the only one. Um, but he asked if, uh, you know, ASU comes out in 2022 and wins nine games, does Herm Edwards keep his job? The answer is absolutely yes. I don't see that happening. I, I I cannot get behind ASU winning nine games, but if I'm wrong and they do, like if they go eight and four and then win a bowl game, yeah, Herb Edwards will, will definitely keep his job. I'd be shocked if that happens, but uh, that would that would certainly be enough, especially if they went nine and three in the regular season. That would be uh, <laughs> that would be really really good. David Shaw is on the warm seat, not the hot seat. David Shaw is on the warm seat. 2019, he goes 4-8. That was after a 9-4 and four season in 2018. That's a pretty big flip, right? It's not a gradual progression down where they went 9-4, and four and you know then it was like 6-6, six and six and then it was a 7-5, and five and then a 5-7, and seven and then dropped to 4-8. and eight. No, they went four and a half games in the wrong direction from 2018 to 2019. Then in 2020, a season that those of you have been, who have been with me for a while know, I don't take into account very much, if at all. They went four and two there. And so maybe in the eyes of the Stanford Cardinal administration, that's buying him some time or, you know, it's buying him some clout. But the way I look at it, the Cardinal went three and nine in 2021. If they're sub 500 this year, that's three out of four seasons with a losing record and three straight Full seasons, three straight campaigns where you play 12 college football games, you know, like a normal year, and you have a losing record, three in a row. Now, the question about how warm David Shaw's seat could get this year in Palo Alto is what the expectations are of that administration. When Jim Harbaugh got to Stanford and began turning things around, it was clear they'd made a good hire. They were under 500. They got a little better, a little better, 8-5, and five, boom. 2010, everything pops with Andrew Luck. They win 12 games. When they won 12 games in 2010, that was 12 years ago, that was the first time Stanford had won 10 or more games in a college football season since 1993 under the tutelage of this guy named Bill Walsh. Maybe you've heard of him. The reason I bring up the expectations of the administration now, because you hear that and think, well, I mean, they're probably going to be content with, uh, you know, uh, some more sub-500 seasons than normal because of that. Maybe. However, I wonder whether or not in their eyes Shaw has, and Harbaugh as well, have shifted the expectations of that program amongst the fan base, alumni, boosters, and everybody else involved with uh, a college football community. Because including 2010, Stanford went on a run of winning 10 or more games in six of seven seasons. They were a double-digit college football winning team. That is winning at an elite level at any program in the country, but especially one with rigorous academic standards. I think what we are going to get an answer to this year is the question I just posed. Did the overall expectations of that football program change because of that seven-year stretch where they were a perennial 
top 15 caliber program that very nearly got to a college football playoff. But uh, they were upset at home by Oregon in 2015 that won multiple Rose Bowls, got to other New Year's Six BCS caliber games. I think the way this season plays out and how Stanford responds and whether or not any sort of pressure begins to tangibly mount up on David Shaw will answer that question I have because I don't know the answer right now. I, I don't know. My personal view and expectations of them has changed. I think, and I can be a little bit more cutthroat when it comes to this sort of stuff personally, but that's just kind of how I am as a college football fan. If David Shaw comes out and puts up another three and nine season or really, really anything under 500, if, if he's under 500 again, five and seven, if there's a close loss or two in there, then maybe you, you bring him back and see if he can right the ship because that's more wins than last year. But if he doesn't win at least five games this year, I would jump ship and say it's time for a new coach. That would be three consecutive 12-game seasons under 500. And I've seen what Stanford can be. We've all seen what Stanford can be. I have the expectation of they're capable of being a top 20 program year in and year out. And if you're not even getting to 500, you're no longer doing a sufficient job. And we'll go find somebody who can do that. But whether or not the athletic director and everyone within that department sees it the same way that I do is something that will play out here in 2022. The season is right around the corner. I can not wait. Give me football. I just would like it to be on my television sooner rather than later, as Ron Swanson would say, please and thank you. Appreciate everybody listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.